Hello, and welcome back to the TF Tuesday podcast. I hope y'all have had a great week. Uh, It's been kind of warm and muggy where I am, so I hope the weather has been treating y'all a bit better. Today, we have a very special guest joining us to talk about a bunch of different topics, actually, including a grand theory of everything to do with furries. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I am Toledo of many former names and leaving behind me the detritus of and the wrecks of former sonas um (laughs) so depending on where you found me uh when you found me i could have been a horse or a gemsbok or a horse again and now a uh panther a variety of different things and you've gone by like kedvu and Mm -hmm. out of the box and a few other names i believe yeah yeah tavaro is the old one um Mm. If if you found me 2005 to 2007, that was the name I was under. <laughs> nice. What a blast to the past. <laughs> oh my goodness. Seriously. Did you find me back then? I did, actually. Um, <laughs> I believe you... Cause, okay, so I, I actually found your stuff around that time because you were linked under like people that like you should check out on Drazenite's page at the time. Oh, yeah. And so like there was like a whole... like collection of furry folks that you could find through his uh, DeviantArt page, and that was the one that I found first. So I did actually see your stuff back in the day a long time ago. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It is so fun. <laughs> it is. And, and kind of funny to to realize that people remember all that from 15 to 17 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Time flies. I, can't, I cannot believe that that was like all that time ago everything feels like it's like oh it's just 10 years ago and it's like no no that's not how time is passing right now nope (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness you know i'd love to hear a little bit about your interest in tf and what kind of got you into it particularly given you have a very large body of work and so um, i'd love to hear a little bit more about the background of what kind of got you into it in the first place and then kind of brought you to where you are now Yeah, oh my goodness. It goes back honestly farther than I can remember. I was actually just in a group chat today and someone shared one of those comic strips of Calvin and Hobbes fame imagining himself as a dinosaur. And I was like, oh, yeah, that. I grew up basically as kind of like a dinosaur kid. Mm -hmm. And didn't really connect with transformation in media basically because every depiction I saw was like a punishment right. and permanent and horrifying <laughs> 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 like all of those things none of which have ever really been appealing to me I think back to like Pleasure Island which is traumatizing um (laughs) it's seminal for some people but you know it's very much a your mileage may vary sort of thing oh just because it's traumatizing doesn't mean that it's not seminal (laughs) true true that's true and when i was contemplating other things i i recalled like from uh, one of my major influences throughout my entire life has been star trek and Mm -hmm. the transformation you mainly see on star trek is like the Borg, where they will literally yeah. invade your body with machines that change you from the inside and erase your personality. Ah! <laughs> 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 not for me. <laughs> yeah, not fun. Not uh, For a lot of people, not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, 
I was like terrified of being transformed into something unpleasant. I was also literally praying to like wake up as a dinosaur. I have very <laughs> clear recollections of me in kindergarten. Like, yes, I want to be a parasaurolophus, please. And I also just thinking back too. I just would identify with non-human characters pretty consistently. Um, <clears throat> going back to Star Trek, it's the Vulcans, perhaps. There was a species from a Star Trek Voyager episode known as the Voth, and I won't spoil why oh, they yeah. particularly struck out stuck out to me because it's a fun part of the episode, season three, episode yeah. twenty-seven. Go watch it, Distant Origin. Um, <laughs> um, and I even recall in sixth grade writing a story that I entered in a state fair writing context where the point of view character is revealed to be a dinosaur-like alien um, who was the survivor of a crash ship and has been disguised as a human and is now being taken back to his world. I have no idea why I was quite so gutsy to enter that in a uh, writing competition, but I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was a piece of work even then. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny actually you mentioned that because I also as a child entered a TF story into a writing competition. So I just want to say you're not the only one. I feel that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Oh, holy cow. I just... What did the judges actually think about this story? I have no idea. <laughs> Would love to know, though. Would love to know. Oh, my. Um, yeah. And just as a bit more history, I think... So all of this stuff that I've mentioned up to now has been kind of about identity. Like wanting to be something else instead of the process of becoming something else. There were a couple things that actually got me started thinking about the actual procedure. I think the primary one was Animorphs. I have, oh, yeah. I have a clear recollection of one story, one book where they described Jake turning into a tiger and actually describing like the shifts in bone and muscle. And I think what made an impact on me there was that transformation was described in kind of a precise, very comprehensible bodily way. So it was visceral, but it was also painless. And overall in Animorphs, transformation is a tool. It is literally empowering, which was a major shift from all the other transformation media I had encountered before. And another thing, what finally tipped me over into kind of transformation furry stuff online was a seventh grade project where we had to make ads for dragons looking to hire princesses. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> inspired by Patricia C. Reed's Enchanted Forest Chronicles. I, real, I, I went searching for dragons online, realized that I didn't want these like four-legged beasts. I wanted friendly bipedal dragons with clothes and jobs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in the process, I found dragon and furry media. And there was one website called draconic.com that is still around where the creator oh. of the website wrote a story about him slowly transforming into a dragon to like get this wish of 
finally having his body match its form. And there is that kind of yearning and also the, mm-hmm. the visceralness of it that really kind of impacted me. It's like, oh, it would be really cool to turn into something that could fly. Wow. Yeah. So neat. And get to experience the world in such a different way. Exactly. And, and that's when I started doing art. Mm-hmm. Dragon stuff, furry stuff transformation stuff drawing it at first very quickly switching into uh photo manipulation with my lovely photoshop elements 2 that's a throwback i know right (laughs) the liquify tool didn't show what was behind the layer that you were manipulating oh my god really yeah so i just had to like yeah i just had to like liquify elements blind click okay and hope they turned out all right. And if they didn't, I would have to go back in and change stuff. Wow. Somehow still better than GIMP's liquify tool. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. That's kind of the run-up to my engaging as a transformation artist um, online. Mm-hmm. The, the first pictures that I posted in my DeviantArt gallery back in 2005 were both transformation. i mean i very much support that so you know (laughs) yeah uh, a raptor and a horse interestingly enough oh nice Mm -hmm. nice oh so then i guess you know when it comes to like i i like to ask this question because i think it's funny you know like Mm -hmm. what would you say is your tragic villain backstory i mean you've talked a little (laughs) bit about like you know (laughs) praying to be a dinosaur and like seeing some of this other media so like was any of this like basically the building blocks to becoming a you know a tf villain i mean if i were a tf villain i I could see two options one being like god you refuse me to turn me into a dinosaur so i just have to take the burden of that on myself (laughs) um (laughs) um, and the other one being that so in a lot of popular media in a move that has annoyed me forever transformation is basically depicted as a metaphor for puberty so you get like teen werewolves and what have you just so many puberty metaphors for me puberty was pretty inconsequential i like grew hair and my voice dropped and so the puberty narrative has never really stuck with me so my villain goal would be to reverse that make puberty be a metaphor for transformation there (laughs) there's so much transformation in the world that when people think about puberty they're like oh that's just another tf as opposed to transformation being oh that's just another puberty (laughs) so basically if you had your way when you underwent puberty you would end up tfing into something at the end of it you know um I just remembered that that is literally the premise of a cycle of stories that I definitely read parts of called The Winds of Change back oh, that's amazing. in the early 2000s. Did you ever read those? No, I've never heard of that before. Oh my goodness. It was, it wasn't quite on the TSA, but okay, yeah, it was a shared universe where the premise was that our universe merged with a universe where everyone was anthros. And how this manifested, like, at the first cataclysm, everyone basically above puberty turned immediately into an anthropomorphic animal. After that, everyone was born human, but turned into an animal, you know, in their teenage years. Oh my gosh. 
gosh. And so there was an entire cycle around Robin. So people would write different stories in in a cycle for different characters where there were teenage characters who were experiencing their transformations. Wow. One was a raccoon, another was a zebra. I'm forgetting the others, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think you might still be able to find parts of it online, if not everything. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, check that out. That is Blast from the Past. Fascinating. That is so cool. That is amazing. Honestly, that I wish that was how puberty worked. So yeah, like if we can get that changed, that would be great. Uh, honestly. I'll, I'll submit a petition. <laughs> can we can we do this on change.org? Yeah, we could. I, I think we could make a petition. That would be fun. It's an appropriate I mean, URL. It's literally called change.org. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like it's literally called change.org. Like, come on. <laughs> what even are you trying to change, folks? <laughs> yeah, like hello, if it's not my physical form, like, what is this? <laughs> oh God. Oh, so, you know, all of that fun backstory in mind, you know, I know that you and I have chatted before kind of about the psychology of like furry and and transformation. And I kind of want to like dig into that because you've kind of mentioned in passing to me before, like, you know, the grand unifying theory of furry. Yes. Particularly (laughs) as it kind of like relates to the concept of enclosed cognition. So, I was curious if you could describe that term to our audience and kind of explain how you think it relates to furries. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I did take notes on this. So I will be uh, reading a bit from my notes, but I just want to make sure to explain like the experiments that psychologists went through to like reach the conclusions that they did that kind of undergird my thought process. Yeah. So... Enclothed cognition is a term coined by um, psychologists, and I hope I'm pronouncing these right, Hajo Adam and Adam D. Galinsky in a paper from 2012, so happy 10th anniversary, where they were testing the effect of the symbolic meaning of wearing clothing. And the behavior that they were testing was the attention paid to something. And so it's a sequence of three experiments. Okay. The first experiment, they brought in two groups, uh, one that was wearing a lab coat and one that was not, and they had them do a test. And basically, the folks wearing the lab coat had half the errors in the same amount of time as the people without the lab coat. So the hypothesis is that, okay, it looks like they were paying more attention. The idea of a lab coat gave something in their mind where they are activated something in their mind where they thought a different way about themselves. They thought professionally like a doctor or a scientist. Mm-hmm. In the second experiment, they wanted to bring it even further. Was it just the garment or was it the meaning of the garment that was significant? So they had three groups this time, one wearing a lab coat, one wearing the same garment but called a painter's coat, and one that was just exposed to the view of a lab coat before taking the test. And the folks, again, the folks who wore the lab coat were were more successful at the test than the other two groups. And the third experiment, they wanted to test to see whether it was the connection that people perceived between themselves and the lab coat that made the difference or if it was actually wearing it. So they had two groups, one wearing a lab coat and one writing about their connection to a doctor's coat that they saw. Wearing it had the biggest effect again. So this implies that the stuff that we wear 
even basically like everyday clothing, if it has symbolic meaning for us, can affect the way we behave and even think about ourselves. In closed cognition, it's so cool. That's incredible. So, I mean, then the logical extension of that when it comes to furries is like thinking like about fursuits and how that affects someone's behavior, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that is the obvious thing because it's literally something you wear. And yeah, from my own personal experience, the first thing I had with any kind of furry related costuming was a toucan beak mask that I made back in like 2013 or something. I remember seeing pictures of this. It was quite good. Yeah, thank you. It was like a foot and a half long and yeah. incredibly dorky and had an articulated <laughs> jaw and made out of cardboard. You can <laughs> do whatever you like. Um, yeah. But I remember when I went to a fur meet with that, of course, it was also my first meet. I like mm-hmm. was petrified. The beak, while it hid my face, didn't affect my behavior as much because the rest of me was dressed normally. However, uh, a couple months after I went to my first convention and a friend of mine, um, Eric, let me try on his horse fursuit for just like 20 minutes. So I put it on. It was way too large. He's like six inches or more taller than me and went out into the public areas of the hotel. And I found it was an entirely different experience. Just with my entire body being covered and hidden from view, I realized that I could just basically act like a character. And I and additionally I found that like the horse fursuit that I was wearing was relatively realistic and I wanted to act in a more kind of playful cartoony way that was discordant with the suit. Right. Which was entirely fascinating i wanted to inspire like smiles and joy and not just make people uh, feel impressed so putting on this outfit and being entirely anonymous just entirely changed the way i wanted to interact with people it, it was in that moment where i'm like oh my goodness i want a fursuit because i want right. to feel this yeah and even though it was a realistic one you still because you had almost the the mental connection towards like maybe fursuits in general, maybe that was also partially what engendered that response in terms of wanting to act in a more like, you know, smile inducing way. I don't know if it was even that, though that's a good question because up to that point, I hadn't really had experiences with fursuits. This was really early on. I had just seen my first ones in person just the previous year and I hadn't even had a fursuit hug yet. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I hope you got many. I hope you got many. I got one at that convention, but since then I okay. have made up for the deficit. Um, okay, good, good. <laughs> but I think it was just like how I wanted people to react to me just coming out in a very clear way. I guess I wanted to entertain people and just kind of express energy in a way it, because yeah it was it was strange um but anyway that is an example of enclosed cognition from my own experience and kind of what informs some of these thoughts mm-hmm. but yeah i think i think it also goes beyond just fursuits and this is why i call it the grand unifying theory of of furry because if you look at what we do 
kind of slightly less obviously than fursuits, I think it applies to VR avatars because right. you are interacting in a world where you present as a certain form and it's a form that you can change. I don't have a VR setup, mm -hmm. but I've been in VR chat a couple times and it is really fun to like switch between an avatar that is very tall to one that is very short. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just interact with people that way. But even deeper and more fundamentally, we present as animal people online. Even if we don't quote unquote dress up as them, that is how we desire to be perceived and how we are perceived by people we care about every day. And so, yeah, I honestly think personas are just an example of enclosed cognition, just in a pretty abstract virtual space. Interesting. So then, you know, if I think about this in relation to ourselves, to use as an example, do you feel like you take on certain characteristics that you would associate with a panther? And then like looking out, would you say that like someone like myself acts in more of a Lombax way? I'm just like, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud if as to how that manifests itself. Okay. As to Lombaxes, you are literally my only exposure to the oh, species. Oh, fair. <laughs> Everything I know about Lombaxes is from Zaleppo. So I think if I were to encounter Lombaxes, I would say like, oh my goodness, you remind me of Zaleppo. Um, <laughs> I, I am the benchmark, it's true. So, you know, yeah, that's yeah, fine. You are the Lombax. Um, <laughs> but hilariously, with regard to myself, I have had people tell me that I behave differently since I switched my public-facing Sona to Panther in June of last year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say I've perceived a change. So, like, I think that does actually kind of validate it. Oh, my goodness. It is so funny. Well, it's so funny to hear that it is that noticeable. And I don't know quite how I would characterize it because I can't see myself from the outside and I don't remember quite what people have said. But, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> I, I've definitely heard that. I definitely think that I mean, there's like a certain like set of traits that I think oftentimes are prescribed to like feline and feline like characters. Mm -hmm. And again, this kind of touches on Lombax. So that's why I think I have a little bit of insight here. Oh, yes, do tell. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think that there is a perception that feline characters are a little more outgoing and clever to hmm. some degree and i don't know if maybe this is just me like projecting or something mm -hmm. but i feel like there is that association made a lot and i mean in terms of you know since you've changed your sona i would definitely say that i think the way you have presented yourself has been more outgoing so i don't know if that is like one of the things that other people have mentioned but i think that could be related to that and definitely it ties into this theory of enclosed cognition yeah yeah i think i could see that and some of this probably relates to reasons i made the change symbolic resonances of the two different species for myself horse is a is a species that i love and will never stop loving because there's just a lot of good stuff tied up in it but it also had implications for me of kind of like almost cosmic responsibility in a way one of the things that informed my 
my son in the first place was the character of Boxer from Animal Farm. Oh, yeah. Whose motto was, I will work harder. And I gradually came to realize that that's not exactly the ideal to pursue, given that mm-hmm. Boxer is exploited by a system he refuses to see and eventually is carted off to the glue factory um yeah very depressing (laughs) yeah so i still i think there's something admirable in that though the the willingness to work for a greater cause but one of the things that appealed to me about the feline form which honestly still shocks me that i i went there it wasn't something that i had kind of had foregrounded to myself in the past, Mm -hmm. but was the capacity for kind of quiet and relaxation. And perhaps that, yeah. And and perhaps that's a relaxation of like social strictures as well. Part of it though, uh, perhaps a side effect is, I think part of what you were referring to, the outgoing bit, where Mm -hmm. as ambush predators, cats can be a little tricky they're yes they're not quite like coyotes but they do get a bit of mysteriousness Mm -hmm. about them and i do think that comes out at least a little bit yeah i would agree i would agree with that so then you know in terms of this kind of grand unifying theory you know you mentioned this and i want to almost like tie back to it you know the Mm -hmm. analog of this concept in practice obviously is like fursuits also like vr avatars and you know something we've talked about on the show before is how like people will often like change their behavior and gestural presentation when it comes to being in a different visual representation Mm -hmm. so do you think this is a facet of like personality transformation in a way and if so why does it seem to slip under so many people's radars in transformation discussions because it's very rare that i actually see people talk about personality transformation in the context of like inhabiting different forms unless it's been like quote-unquote forced onto someone yeah oh one i would say yes absolutely that is a that is a variety of uh, personality transformation Mm -hmm. i think one of the reasons it kind of slips under the radar is that a lot of interest in transformation especially in kind of our weird little sub subculture online is the change in the physical body or at least in the like appearance of the physical body if there is clothing that can make the body look significantly different i think it might fit more um like if someone wears a muscle suit and then something on top of that that might cause them to interact in a different way uh, one example from broader culture that comes to mind is drag. Now, I can honestly say drag is not for me. I don't like it. <laughs> um, it yeah, just, it's not for everyone, honestly. It, it, it's not appealing, but I can intellectually understand it. Like, right. you basically hide everything behind a different character and you can act a different way. Right. Like, that is personality transformation with elements of apparent bodily transformation right so other than that like in in previous episodes you've talked about character growth as transformation yes and i firmly believe that is a a kind of tf yeah maybe it's just um so 
average that we don't think about it. Another another example from broader society is code switching. Right. Where people will change how they interact or how they talk or how they gesture when they're just in different social contexts. The paradigmatic examples are um, like minorities switching between their like in-group spaces and when they're with people who do not belong to their minority group, whether that's linguistic or manners. Sorry to Bother You, an excellent transformation movie, parodies this hilariously by having uh, white actors voice black telemarketers when they're making their calls. It is so funny. You should go watch it. And it's not a very only... insightful movie, honestly. Oh, it's really good. And giving away a little bit of it by classifying it as transformation media, but it's good. Go watch it. It's very good. <laughs> Don't look up <laughs> anything else about it. It is a weird movie, and you will not be uh, sorry for not knowing anything going in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think that's a, a really interesting point in that because it's so like when we talk about like personality changes be it through like code switching or character development it's interesting to kind of pitch it as it's so within the realm of the ordinary that we don't think about it in that way because you know again as you mentioned transformation as a concept is tied very strongly to bodily changes in terms of like shifting a physical form and of course to be clear there are a lot of like folks who do engage in like more overt personality changes like you know i think the classic i always go to is like you know stories about like turning into like a stereotypical jock or himbo or or, (laughs) or, like turning into like a stereotypical nerd like those are very much ones that that come to mind but Mm -hmm. those are definitely in the in the minority when you think about transformation discussions and the type of media that a lot of people engage in so you know without the element of bodily change it's interesting to think that we just kind of dismiss it in a way because it's like well there's no physical change so therefore you know it doesn't fit inside of our like normal conception of what a transformation is yeah yeah actually um this makes me think about some of the art i do so we, we might get into this a little bit later, but I haven't done overt transformation art in a number of years, or at least I haven't done very much that I posted publicly. Yeah. But a lot of my work still feels like it has transformation themes to me because of things like we're, what we're discussing. So last year I did a really fun series of people like on a football team Oh, yes. I was a part of the team. Yes. I remember this. Indeed. I ended up drawing like 50 figures. It was astounding the response that that got. And it was so fun. Mm -hmm. But I have never played football. I do not have the football build or the desire to have any concussions beyond the one that I got last year. Um, which still gives me headaches. Don't get concussions, folks. Oh, dear. Don't play oh, dear. football except in your fantasies. Um, <laughs> um, but it was really fun to depict myself getting, like, friendly tackled or pouncing or what have you. Just mm-hmm. these ways I wouldn't necessarily interact in person, but I could interact as my Sona in a drawing. And side note... I don't know if I could have done that series if I had still been presenting as a horse because of like the strictures that I kind of put on myself before then. 
So even if I'm not depicting a, um, a literal bodily shift from one form to another, a lot of what I do still has vibes. <laughs> yeah, it has TF vibes. I was about to say vibes. The vibes are still present. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that's that's really fascinating to me. And, you know, I, I know we've kind of, like, talked about this before personally, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, I find that when you approach transformation, particularly in terms of how this plays into the enclosed cognition piece, like, it's almost like you focus a little bit on, like, the plethora of like social contracts that'll get completely scrambled and i think that it's really interesting that you focus on that because again we don't always necessarily think about those things when we first think about tf like lots of people will explore things related to post-transformation which is Mm -hmm. very much in that vein but the focus in everyone's like mind firstly is almost always the initial changes and so i think it's interesting that you have played with that kind of enclosed cognition theory to some degree by focusing on how people act and engage in relationships after a change, for example, or during a change. Yeah, yeah, it's so this is this is one thing that is fascinating to me about transformation and just kind of in general. Mm-hmm. One thing that I would really love to do or one thing that I like to do is just observe people, how they act, how they talk, and so forth, just as a way to try to understand them. But one thing that complicates that is that often my presence as an observer will change how they act. Right. And that's not cool. I want to observe people in their natural habitat. So basically, you need to set up those like Star Trek listening posts on like the uncontacted world so that you can like properly conceal yourself and observe is what you're saying? Yes, I need like holographic walls that I can sit behind and like watch people or just like or just like disguise myself as a as a rock and like wander around behind people as they chat. Um, (laughs) But here's where it comes to transformation, because one of the things that would be fascinating about transformation would be able to be to go undercover like this and observe mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't be able to to see otherwise. And I guess you could like do this by invisibility for instance, but why do that when you could just like change your appearance so that people won't notice you in yeah. that cir- in that circumstance. I would not want to be a fly, but figuratively speaking, be a fly on the wall. Yeah, exactly just observe non-disruptively like that would be really fascinating and also to explore how people would behave around you if you blended in to not only be an observer but also a participant in things where you just wouldn't fit like i'm not good enough of an actor even if i like was able to change my like appearance to go into these circumstances so there's there's a bit of like if only i could change my appearance and tweak my personality presentation so that i could go into these places like entirely unobserved i don't know maybe that's weird but i think it's a fascinating thought (laughs) it's a very like it's a very researcher sort of viewpoint in a sense because it's like you want to go in and collect this information because you're just genuinely fascinated by it and you don't want to disrupt the experiment itself of the observation i'm a nerd (laughs) (laughs) 
goodness. there is nothing wrong with that. I, no, I no. It. <laughs> no, there isn't. It's yeah. funny. Yeah, no, I think I think like overall, I think it's really interesting that this grand theory in the sense of when it comes down to it, we are a function in some way of not only like what we're consciously presenting to others, but even like just wearing things can affect how we present to other people. And it, it makes sense from both a, a furry and a TF perspective, because if you're wearing tf things or like you have some sort of tf like importance imbued to certain objects it can even affect how you then speak to and interact with other people and i think that's really fascinating oh yeah absolutely absolutely like at anthrocon a couple weeks back a couple friends Mm -hmm. and i went out to engage with people one night with like uh each of us wearing a football jersey and it was funny to see just how my friends change and and i change our behavior just with that um (laughs) it's kind of subtly but in real ways yeah it's still there it's definitely still there so then you know it's interesting you kind of mentioned that because i think one of the things that i find interesting about transformation is how it can pose questions about ourselves and like our communities our beliefs our values you know oftentimes questions that are can be thorny and and really are in need of resolution so you know when it comes to like thinking about transformation and like your own sort of personal context how has it kind of related to you kind of questioning your own views and values yeah okay i will need to go on a bit of a digression here to explain we love digressions here so go for it (laughs) as established i am a nerd (laughs) as not yet established I have had a a streak of scrupulosity in my life that has sometimes taken me to weird mental places. Scrupulosity is typically defined as a variety of obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm not diagnosed. This isn't a diagnosed thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but often in relation to religious or moral compunctions. Um, okay. And... Uh, Way back in the day, I would do, like, TF and anthro art and would be just, like, entirely baffled why I did it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even worried. So I'm from a Mormon background, um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Mm -hmm. to understand my compunctions, I'm going to give a brief primer on bits of Mormon theology. So the idea is that we are here on Earth because we were pre-existent spirits that needed to obtain a human body that then would die and be resurrected into an immortal form that you would then keep ad infinitum. Okay. Furthermore, it is conceived that God has a body that is basically human, material and so forth. Absolute heresy, according to traditional Christianity. Um, right. But here I was, a very nerdy and anxious teenager, thinking, oh my goodness, what does it mean that I want hooves instead of feet? Oh, <laughs> interesting. What does it mean that I want to be a dragon instead of, like, a human? 
what does it mean that I don't identify with the form that I have? <laughs> Am I wishing that I'm like opting out of this experience that is like theologically my destiny that I chose before I came here? Mm -hmm. Like, where does this come from? Oh, and actually building on the where does this come from? I also had no experience with like the idea of social construction of identity. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I wore myself out thinking like, okay, what is the origin of my fascination with horses? Like, does it have to do with like genetic memory of like farmer ancestors? Does it have to do with like connections to historical narratives? Is there like something in my soul that is essentially horsey? And eventually I just drove myself to the point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. This must be like a terrible distraction from my divine destiny. I just need to put it all aside. Right. <laughs> and that was when I did my mission uh, down in Argentina. And I literally spent 18 months like closing an eye every time I passed a horse. So I wouldn't be like distracted by these like questions. Of which there were probably many. Yeah, I'm just like, it was driving me nuts. Yeah. I, I got back from Argentina and within two months had already started doing photo manipulations again. So <laughs> in addition to just having to come to grips with this being something that was not going away, I also started remembering the stories that had influenced my perception of horses. Things like Seabiscuit, which I had read uh, in high school or Animal Farm, or Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. And I realized, like, things about our identities can be vitally important to who we are without being metaphysically or ontologically grounded. Like, I didn't have to be a horse in essence in order to identify as one. Right. <laughs> so, like, that's rather circular, or rather elliptical, I should say. Yeah. But that was a thorny way that kind of transformation, or at least the contrast between my human body and what I idealized, how it manifested in my life. That's really interesting. You know, it, as you're kind of like describing that, I'm not equating it to the same thing, but like there's like vibes of almost in a weird way, almost like a mental dysphoria of sorts of like trying to reconcile a perception and how you feel about something and it sounds like in a way your way of reconciling that was just coming to terms with the idea of having dialectical thinking about it like you could hold both things in your mind at the same time and yeah. they could both be true yeah yeah exactly and and also just like there is a really common tendency we have in our culture to have to ground everything that's valuable in the perception of that thing being unchanging or innate mm -hmm. or however you describe it. Inflexible, yeah. Yeah, inflexible. And just realizing that, no, chosen things, changing things, things that have been conditioned by culture and history, things that are contingent are still valuable yeah. personally, communally. Like, this is the water we swim in. Not everything has to be, like, eternal and immutable in order to be loved. That's a really good way of putting it, honestly. Yeah. 
thank you. <laughs> it's, it's something I've thought a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that inherently, and something that we, I, I hope comes across when we do, you know, episodes of the pod is I think that we as people who are interested in transformation, I think we at least have at least some inherence towards being open-minded about things and like reconciling different conflicting points of views. And I think that you put it really nicely in the sense of like, you know, a lot of things in life are, we perceive them to be inflexible, but they're not. And they are what we make of them. And they are what we make of them as a community. And, you know, when it comes to transformation in particular, I mean, it has a very like, there's a predefined way that a lot of people think about it in terms of society writ large. Mm -hmm. And I think that we as people within this community are kind of challenging those more inflexible mm -hmm. views as to what that means, because we have looked at this concept and we have said, you know, society may view it in a specific way, but we want to change that. And, you know, forgive the pun. We want to change that right. and make it something that has a unique value to ourselves. And everyone, I think, in the transformation community has like a slightly different definition as to what that is. Yeah. And that's what kind of makes it empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mention it and now that I think about it a little more deeply, it's like I've had friends point out that we like to think about humans being constant. They are the self-governing, agentive, self-sufficient individuals. But like, I th think you mentioned in a previous episode, aging is a transformation. Yes. Like, <laughs> we change from being infants to toddlers, to children, to teenagers, to adults, to middle-aged, to elderly. Like, mm -hmm. we transform, our capacities change. And as we mentioned in this episode, like, people change who they are based on their social context. Like, yeah. none of those things are a betrayal of our identity. None of those things are dishonest or show people to be subhuman. Like, yeah. change is our essence. Like, we, we transform. <laughs> we do. No, we do. And I think it's just, it's something that I wish that more people like, you know, quote unquote normies or whatever, were a little bit more cognizant of because, you know, like I've kind of mentioned, like society has kind of attached particular values to these ideas. And so then mm -hmm. oftentimes when transformation can be integrated into stories, it's used as a mechanism to bring views, like societal views on things as broad as maybe, you know, society's reluctance towards like the other or othering mm -hmm. in oneself yeah. or even something as particular as like the awkwardness of like navigating social situations. So then, mm -hmm. you know, then I think like, how do we then view those values in connection to transformation? Does it like reveal specific things regarding our cultural attitudes or are we thinking too much about this? Is it just kind of a fun add on? The reason transformation exists in popular culture and has since time immemorial. I mean, mm -hmm. the first sculpture that we have is the Livenmensch, the Lion Man, um, which yep. is a bipedal lion um, back in the day, is because it does speak to these essential questions. And going back to the earliest stories about transformation, like experiencing life from a different perspective is an essential part of it. You have 
the Greek prophet Tiresias, who spends time as a woman, for instance, and then is later called upon to like talk about that experience. Or you have the the only surviving complete Roman novel, The Golden Ass by Lucius Apuleius, where a man gets turned into a donkey and experiences not only the humiliations of life as a donkey, but also a wide variety of situations in Roman culture. He hangs out with bandits, with people who do magic, with women, with slaves. Um, Yeah. And you get this. Actually, you know, I was just reading a book the other week called The Deviance War by Eric Cervini. And it was the story of Franklin Kameny, uh, an astronomer who lived in kind of straddled the middle of the 20th century and was Mm -hmm. an early gay rights pioneer challenging the federal government's um, employment discrimination about homosexual people. And one of the things that it went into is the history of the first durable um, gay rights organization in the United States called the Mattachine Society. And I had never known the origin of the name Mattachine. Um, Mm -hmm. But apparently it goes back to basically the tradition of the Feast of Fools in Europe. Okay. Where, as a holdover from New Year's celebrations in the Roman Empire, for a short period in the year, everyone's roles in society would flip. Um, (laughs) So, like, common people would be bishops um, and so forth. And the Mattachine Society took its name after performers who would you know, dress in socially transgressive ways, including as animals, and go around mocking people. (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, so there's always been an element of the animal as the other serving as a mirror for uh, humankind Mm -hmm. and being able to see other humans better through the eyes of an animal than through human eyes. Yeah. No, that's 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 really powerful, and honestly, it, it kind of ties back to everything we were just talking about with the grand theory of you know, it, it's almost easier to observe as a as a non-human and really kind of dive into the psyche of how these humans really act in a way, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it, and I did not know that um, that society took its name from that. So I mm-hmm. have learned something new today. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm happy to know that bit of trivia (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you know obviously i would be remiss to not chat about this as it's obviously a a passion of mine you also are a photo manipulation artist and yes again i like to talk shop when it comes to that sort of thing and yes it's a Mm -hmm. pun but you know i was kind (laughs) of interested in kind of getting an understanding as to how you kind of got your start and what kind of drew you into photo manips as a medium because i often find that there are different appeals for different people and so you know because it's a unique medium i like to hear those stories sure at its root i think it was a desire for photorealism I don't quite know where this came from. My hypothesis was it might be building off of the sort of makeup and puppet work that you might see in in Star Trek or maybe Star Wars. 
I've always been more of a Star Trek person. Me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even like, say, Jurassic Park, where you get like the best velociraptors ever, even if they are like paleontologically inaccurate. Yes. So when I started doing art, I thought I, I wanted to be able to do photorealistic stuff. Mm. I found stuff at the time. Um, I don't know. Do you remember the website Worth 1000? No. What is that? Oh, my goodness. So I don't know when it started, but up until <laughs> like up until I went to Argentina in 2007, I would regularly check this site. It was a mm -hmm. website that hosted uh, photo manipulation contests. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there were a huge variety of themes, but some of them were specifically anthro ones. Oh, okay. With, with a very unfortunate title. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But they were... Honestly, most of them were pretty stellar for, you know, 2004, 2005. Yeah. I was like, I want to do that. And then I found photo manipulators on DeviantArt and otherwise. The two that come specifically to mind are um, Griff, if you remember yes. him. Oh, I know Griff. <laughs> Just astounding photorealistic work. A lot of it transformation themed. Um. Mm -hmm. And then another photo manipulator named Less Than Human. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, so my first two attempts at photo manipulation, one was like a hoof into a foot transformation that is lost to the ages. I don't have a copy of it. And the other one was a bull transformation. And this was before I knew about the liquify tool. Um, right. So I did everything with smudge, burn, and dodge. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but How did that go? I guess relatively well. I mean, I, I still like them today. Oh, I also use the clone tool. Oh yeah, yeah, a classic. But it was less than human who made a tutorial about using the uh, liquify tool that really kind of revolutionized my technique and got me going into more complicated stuff. And so I did a bunch before I left for Argentina, most of them transformation-themed. And then, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, after I got home from Argentina, I almost immediately started doing them again. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's kind of how I got into them. Just a desire for photorealism, access to Photoshop Elements 2.0, and uh, uh, a couple tutorials and contacts online. Oh, that's fantastic. Something I also notice, and I don't think this came up actually in our in the last conversation that I had with Travis, but I also noticed particularly around that early time there were very few artists that actually like focused on like subjects who are men. To be completely honest, like there was actually a dearth of that kind of content, and that dearth actually birthed some very interesting things. I know that like tf world the site was kind of like formed mm -hmm. in an attempt to like kind of kickstart that but you know as someone who was working with that with those subjects at the time how did you feel about the kind of like lopsided dissonance between how people would approach manips when it focused on women versus manips when it focused on men oh my goodness well to start it was always funny to me 
to search for transformation and not instantly get like at least gender balanced animal transformation <laughs> it's like what people have interest in transformation that aren't animal ones oh okay all right um <laughs> um and well so it is kind of funny because there were many fewer folks who did male subjects yeah there are a greater number now but the balance is still probably the same Mm -hmm. and well to be frank to be completely and utterly honest and to reveal places where i have a dearth of virtue um (laughs) i'm still a little bit bitter about how some of that plays out yeah there are some fantastic photo manipulators um who primarily work on female subjects one that i would name is odysseus ut on deviantart oh yeah you've talked about photo bashing combining photos of animals with with photos of people he's probably the best at that that i have seen he does a really good job with it yeah yeah but works pretty much exclusively on female subjects and my just kind of bitterness fist waving at the sky raging at the system reaction to this comes from the fact that like i think i'm relatively comparable in like skill and creativity if not in like photo bashing technique Mm -hmm. but i think just because of the number of you know the greater number of people interested in female photo manipulations, like, they get attention. Yeah. Odysseus UT gets, like, daily deviations, which aren't something I really care about now, except as an example of just, like, how things are sometimes skewed in ways that people don't see. The more niche you go, the fewer people you'll have working in a space, which is just something I understand. And it's partly why I kind of stepped in now this is not to say that at the time that i was entirely conscious of what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) i was yeah it's like it has been illuminated in retrospect oh yes people caught on years earlier than i did um (laughs) 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 to to what this might imply about me Mm -hmm. but yeah i think to this day i've really only done like two female photo manipulations and hilariously one of them is the one that has gotten the most attention is it the tiger prom photo no that that's the other oh. one. Oh, <laughs> the, i would have thought because that one's really well done like from a technical perspective like the way you aged it it's really good thank you and i, I want to get back into like kind of post-processing stuff um because i think that's mm-hmm. a fun example of some of the stuff that i've done with it and uh, things that i really enjoy about photo manipulation the yeah. other one is the um, paint horse lady in a dress sitting down in a oh. wooded glade. Yes, that one. Yeah. So last August, it got picked up as an anti-ivermectin meme. <laughs> yes, I remember this now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just started, people started sending it to me and I started seeing it all over Twitter and in Facebook groups and all over the place. It was wild. It was so wild. (laughs) Just like all over the place, everywhere, like in every combination. It did annoy me when people put their own like watermark or like tag on it. It's like, no, (laughs) that's not yours. That's mine. But I still, it was, it just went on for like two weeks and was so funny. (laughs) 
That's fantastic. I had forgotten about that in the moment, but yeah, that was a wild time, honestly. <laughs> but then again, I think it's because there are more people that pay attention to attractive women. Um, and honestly, I asked myself the question, why didn't these memesters, who were not furries, none of them were. Um, yeah, absolutely not. Uh, picked up my female horse manipulation instead of any of my male ones. And I think there is probably a substrate of sexism there. Yeah. Where people, many people see the combination of a human and animal to be somewhat grotesque, especially when depicted photorealistically, and have an easier time making fun of women and women's bodies. Um, than they do men. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. And I think that when it comes to ridicule, even like, you know, I've talked about kind of like the cringe compilations that I and others have been in. Oftentimes, they focus on pieces where the subject is a woman, because that's seen as like, you know, more like, ridiculous or whatever. And there's definitely an underlying, like theme of misogyny there. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, Yeah. Yeah, why didn't they pick up my, like, icon where I'm doing a dorky, like, big flat-toothed horse grin? Yeah. <laughs> um, who knows? Um, uh, but yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. But, you know, something I've also just kind of noticed with, you know, and, and this has been mentioned by other guests, you know, like, you have also kind of acted as a mentor for a number of folks within the, like, photo manipulation field, like, in particular, there was a tutorial that you did mm-hmm. back in the day where you showed your entire process from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And like, I learned elements of my own furring techniques from that video. So like, what motivated you to take on that sort of a mentorship role? And how do you feel about the positive impact that your tutorial had on a lot of folks, including myself? Well, for one, it's really sweet. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really nice to be able to help people do art like Mm -hmm. that's really fun and heartwarming and i'm glad i can help what motivated the tutorial um Mm -hmm. well i remember i did one in like 2012 where i turned taylor lautner into a fox because that was the most hilarious thing yes and then i did another one where i turned an anonymous person into a caribou mainly it was because i was getting a lot of questions people were curious about my techniques and While I had learned from Less Than Humans tutorial that was text and images, writing out my techniques and illustrating them with images would have been, like, labor prohibitive. So a video series seemed to be the easiest option. And Livestream at the time had an option for recording and downloading your videos, so that's how I did it. Another thing was that I had, and I think I still have, a unique set of techniques like yes there are people who use elements of the techniques that i do but i i'm not sure how many people rely on them to the extent that i have Mm -hmm. at the time especially i was one of the only ones who was doing kind of transformation or anthropomorphic photo manipulations working just from a human substrate and going all the way to the animal with no other, like, materials added in. Yeah. And so that raised a lot of questions for people. 
um, they ask, like, where I got the photos. Or, hilariously, there have been a bunch of people who, like, compliment me on my paintovers, and I'm like, it's not a paintover. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the, the only things that I've painted are, like, a mane, long hair, um, or, like, the fur texture, which doesn't even cover what's underneath. It just kind of yeah. adds highlights and lowlights. And honestly, I can count the number of photo mashes I've done on one hand. So for some of those, I've lifted an element that's way too complicated. On all of them, I've lifted an element that's way too complicated to just create from scratch. Right. Whether it be a Gemsbach horn, or like rhinoceros skin texture, or like yes. scales. Like I did an Eastern Dragon photo manipulation where I lifted scales off a carp for the body and off a cobra for the belly. Oh, that's amazing. That was <laughs> that that took ten hours, which is by far my longest photo manipulation. Yeah. So anyway, like with a unique set of techniques and with people asking questions, I thought, oh, the easiest way to do this would be a tutorial. And hey, I'll make it available for everyone because I don't have anything to to hide. I'm like I'm I'm happy to share. <laughs> my, yeah. my my trade secrets are not secrets. <laughs> no, I I think that's that's really that's really nice to hear cuz I definitely think that a lot of folks, particularly those looking to like branch out outside of the photo bashing techniques can learn a lot from that tutorial. I know that, you know, I personally also had issues in terms of like photo bashing in the sense of like how it could like make things look a little like wonky sometimes in terms of like matching lighting and such and so oh my goodness yeah creating <laughs> things from the actual picture was just always that much more appealing but it's it's tricky to do properly so mm -hmm. having like those kinds of sources of information be it in a very accessible video series i think makes the ability to pick it up a lot easier than it would be otherwise because self-teaching is a is a whole other ball game unfortunately oh absolutely um some people do photo photo bashes amazingly like in terms oh, yeah. terms of technique odysseus ut is great pythos just pumps out an incredible number of photo manipulations and really high quality um, oh yeah but he also just i i'm sure he has a room full of hard drives that are just filled with animal photos so he can find the right one <laughs> maybe it's a, a bit of laziness on my part but i i looked at that i'm like i am not going to take hundreds of pictures of animals or scour google images just to find the right one i'm just going to create it mm. from scratch yeah and i guess there are some methods of my technique that i couldn't explain in the tutorial because they're just mm. harder my experience drawing has really helped because it tells me how I need to arrange like a snout or a hand or what have you to fit with the rest of the picture. And then, like you mentioned with the tiger prom photo, there's a lot of post-processing stuff where you have to make sure that the photo manipulated parts of it match with the non-photo manipulated parts. Right. That's just so particular to each piece that it can hardly be communicated. Like in that problem one, I had to change the color grading to make it look like a 70s photo. In in some, like, I honestly don't mind smaller resolution photos. Not only does Photoshop hate them less, but um, <laughs> there's an added bit of realism when the photo mm -hmm. isn't perfect. 
It's like, yeah. oh, a normal person took this. You just have to make sure that it matches the degree of detail, the blur, the noise that the rest of the photo has. Like there have been times that I've gone in, done a complete furring job, and then blurred it and added noise because I knew that the fur would have minor differences that would even show through the noise. Right, right. <laughs> like it's that sort of detail is so specific to particular pieces that it can't really be fit in a tutorial. And you just mm -hmm. have to know your tools and play with them. Yeah, I mean, so much of learning how to do photo manipulation is not just, you know, watching a tutorial. It is messing around, making mistakes, getting messy, and just trying things and seeing how it turns out, right? So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned kind of like the noise and the realism. I mean, obviously, we've talked already about how, like, you were really drawn towards this idea of realism within like visuals of anthropomorphic things. Uh -huh. So, I, I mean, I think you've kind of explained where that style comes from, but given that style doesn't lend itself to more cartoon-like species or visuals, have you ever found that restrictive in any way? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I've, I've gotten a couple commission requests where they wanted me to work with a cartoony design or like more toony textures guilty and... as charged <laughs> <laughs> and that's not really my thing yeah well i'll mention one thing i do find restrictive and then i'll come back to the toony bit yeah, um, yeah what is restrictive about my techniques is that i cannot recreate complex textures so like tiger stripes are about the most i can do if you want, I so I can't really do reptiles or dinosaurs. Most birds, toucans are great because not only are they adorable and dorky, um, <laughs> but their feathers are not distinct from each other. So you can just kind of have uh, it be a mass of black and white and call it good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can cheat a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, th that's what they look like in the wild. Um, but like a red-tailed hawk, oh no, heavens no. Um, <laughs> heavily wrinkled skin yeah. i i haven't done elephants or even just long fur ask me to do lassie and i will have to decline because i would just have to paint all that fur on the dog and at that point you should just hire a digital painter <laughs> pretty much <laughs> now now back to the toonie bit i also just think toonie stuff would look really bad in my style <laughs> <laughs> including like unnatural colors i don't have anything against that but it's just yeah not necessarily what i want to do and i don't think it would look great so like i remember one time there was a guy who kept requesting that i do photo manipulations of very low resolution pictures of muscled guys oh and gosh. at one point i was like okay let me just Indulge this requester in the most hilariously off-base way possible. And I decided to photo manipulate one of these muscle-bound folks into a My Little Pony. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I changed the face to have the like freakishly enormous eyes, the mm -hmm. like snub-nosed snout, and made the irises a like lime green and the body like unnatural blue 
and I mm-hmm. sent it over and I'm like, hey, <laughs> here you go. There's your request. <laughs> it was terrifying. I so want to see this now. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I think I've looked to it, but it it might be lost. I don't know if it's still on Darn. my hard drive. I, Darn. I, I can do a search and if I find yeah, it, yeah, I'll yeah. send it over and you, <laughs> you can post it or something. But yeah, it, it was just and, and it was further further warning to me to not go too far out of where my uh where my strengths were (laughs) that's fair and you know like everyone has their own like limits and i think that it's it's obviously very commendable that you're cognizant of that and also just i mean your interest doesn't really lie there either so you know it's helpful that that is a nice coincidence in some ways (laughs) yeah yeah exactly i I want photorealistic stuff i want to do photorealistic stuff great (laughs) yeah, <laughs> I can do it well. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so then, you know, before we kind of move on to the, the last topic mm-hmm. that I wanted to touch on, you know, I know that you haven't really done much in the way of photo manipulations in a while. And I was curious as to if you wanted to share why that might be and if yeah. we can expect any in the future, hopefully. So it is a very mundane reason. I love photo manipulations. They are so fun. I still find myself taking photo manipulation photos, like <laughs> poses and stuff. Yeah. Um, for when I get back to it. But yeah, I basically have tendinitis in both my wrists. Oh, okay. And <laughs> back in like November 2018, I got a really stressful bit of like family news and ended up <laughs> playing a star trek skinned version of a uh expand and conquer video game like for eight hours straight until four in the morning and by the end of it my wrists hurt (laughs) oh dear (laughs) and so since then i've gotten an ergonomic mouse and an ergonomic keyboard and i wear wrist braces every night and when i draw and when i type and stuff Mm -hmm. but photo manipulations in my style require a lot of mouse clicking Um, And so if I'm not careful, and if I do manips the way I'm used to doing them, like, you know, five hours at a stretch, my wrist is dead by the end of it. And I basically erased a lot of healing progress. Um, So they are feeling a lot better. So I do anticipate getting back to photo manipulations in the in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. You are on my queue since you got me (laughs) a stock years ago now yes for mff 2019 i think uh yes yeah 2019 yep absolutely (laughs) and i just have not gotten to that there have a couple other folks there too who are friends and who i want to do like i have a i have a friend for whom i took pictures i took the stock pictures um in public transit (laughs) like yes yes i'm so excited to drag in on the subway um but <laughs> just need to wait until a time where i have the energy concentration and wrist pain to not do that um yeah. and so yeah in the future i do plan on getting back to manipulations i love them but don't kill your wrists folks take breaks <laughs> yeah that is wise and valuable advice and i hope people take that to heart <laughs> yeah absolutely uh... Yeah. So then, you know, one of the last things I wanted to kind of touch on before we get to audience questions, you know, one of the things that you kind of did recently that I found really incredible was that you self-taught yourself 
fursuit creation. <laughs> and I know that's not strictly TF related, but I think I can make this work. And so, you know, I was curious to know, like, what was the motivation behind teaching that to yourself and how steep was the learning curve? Okay, the motivation behind teaching myself was, I think, threefold. Mm-hmm. One, I wanted a fursuit. Yeah. <laughs> C, aforementioned in closed cognition conversation. Yes. <laughs> I've like, <laughs> uh, back in the day, I like sketched out different designs for fursuits. I was like, do I want an otter? Do I want a horse? I have like folders of like fursuit inspiration. Um, I'm like, okay, this is great. Okay, I've, someday I will do this if I have the time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. And last summer, we were just getting into the summer. I was like, you know what? What if I made a panther fursuit? What would the head look like? Let me sculpt this out in Sculptress, which is a fun, free sculpting tool, a digital mm-hmm. sculpting tool. And I came up with something that I really liked, and I was like, oh no. And then I realized that I would have a very quiet summer in part because of COVID. And if I wanted to take on such a big project and learn how to do it, now was the time. I had no idea when I would have time to do it in the future. Mm -hmm. And unlike in previous years, I had the financial resources to do it. And also, oh, here's the other motivation for making my own. I'm a cheapskate. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I started drawing. I was like, I want to see things. I don't have money to pay people to do things. I'll do it myself. Um, (laughs) Back when I was 12. Um, And so I was like, okay, I want a fursuit. I have the time. (laughs) I have the lesser amount of money to spend. I scavenged a bunch of foam off the side of the road. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that made it into the fursuit in the end of the day yes it's the Amazing. nose and the toes oh my on, gosh and the toes on my outdoor foot paws that's amazing yeah, it's it, it's uh upholstery foam from off the side of the wow. road um uh but i was like okay i'm gonna do this so i bought a sewing machine i like watched youtube tutorials i i read so many tutorials about like costume patterning cutting fur sewing stuff together shaving fur making making patterns for the like head and gloves and feet and mm-hmm. uh, and so forth and bit by bit i assembled it together and i've modified it bit by bit since then to correct errors but it's been super fun it was a steep learning curve mm-hmm. um But one thing that I'm really glad of nowadays is that there are video tutorials for things. Um, Yes. I know when I was a kid, my mother would sew sometimes, and sewing always seemed to be mysterious, almost like esoterically alchemical. There were all of these little parts that had all of these very specific names that I didn't understand. The only people I knew who had done it had done it like as a job at some point. And so I was like, okay, that's outside of what I can do. That's just way too much. Right. But nowadays you can look things up. If you have a question about a specific sewing machine, even you can look up how to do it on YouTube. Um, same with fursuit building. There are tons of resources out there. In fact, so many that it's sometimes hard to filter through them. 
um, and you have to kind of decide how you want to approach things. Like I tried doing a bucket style construction on my fursuit head and then decided, nope, this wasn't what I wanted. I wanted something more, um, more svelte. Interesting. But yeah, like just like with, with my video tutorial for photo manipulation, if you have the time, if you have the attention, if you have the financial resources, you can do it. Also, I did take on a project that was less complicated. I didn't have to do, like, digitigrade legs. I just right. did plantigrade feet. I... <laughs> my my fursuit being a panther is a single color. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that that is very helpful, that there is no, like, distinct pattern. It's just one flat color. Yes. Um, I did have to order a bunch of different black furs just to determine which one I wanted. Mm, true. And there are some, like, parts that are slightly different length and texture of fur. Like the beard? Yeah, like the beard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, like, the the palms of the hands or what have you mm -hmm. um, that I added in. But, yeah, that, that made it a lot simpler. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, it, it, in my attempt to tie this to transformation, you know, like, yes. in a sense, building a fursuit is a bit of self-improvement, TF, in that you're of building course. up a new skill for yourself <laughs> while also creating a form for others to view you in, aka in clothed cognition. See, it all comes back together. But my, my question is, did TF actually play into your thought process in terms of creating this at all? Or was it kind of something that maybe just came to light later on? I think... It did mostly in the vibes, like mm, the like vibes, we discussed yes. before. Yes, the where, vibes. Where, like, it was so, so fun to see things literally take shape. When I had created the, like, foam understructure of the head, mm -hmm. I could put that on and it's like, oh my goodness, I can reach up and feel a snout. <laughs> like, this is... So awesome. I literally got shivers up my spine right then when I said it. It's like, oh, yeah, I believe oh, it. Oh, this is so neat. My <laughs> head has a different shape. Ah! <laughs> um, and when I would try it on sequentially as I put it mm. together, it's like, this is so fun. Shivers right there again. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's or feeling like the weight and bounce of a mm. tail oh, oh yes. my goodness like that is really fun really fun yeah <laughs> i i had never quite been comfortable with the idea of walking around with a tail until i had this one i'm like okay this feels right yeah and it's delightful <laughs> i i cannot even begin to second that harder i as someone who wears tails all the fucking time it's amazing <laughs> and i love them and i love how they feel and it, like you said it just feels right so i can completely get behind that oh it is it, it's great and then yeah going back to the enclosed cognition point like it is so fun to interact with people kind of as anonymous like yeah at anthrocon at one point i was walking from my hotel over to the convention center and instead of walking down by the riverfront, I decided to walk by kind of that main street where there are a bunch of oh, restaurants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was so, so fun to see people's reactions. 
there were the, I would like stop for pictures with little kids. One guy, one little kid was like, oh, you're my favorite. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is so adorable. Or like kind of dancing along and high-fiving people in the fursuit parade. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It is just, it, it it's joyful. Yeah. Like to be able to bring that degree of magic, that that degree of fantasy, that kind of break from reality, creating a liminal space for folks. A true liminal space, yeah. Yeah, liminal doesn't isn't just creepy. It can be it's it's any place. Yeah. Yeah. Any place where there's like an opening to something new. And I think fursuits can do that in a way that other things don't. Yeah. Um, and actually, returning to my point about, like, um, Toonie stuff, it's a change for me that I... In fact, actually, that trying on that fursuit at the first convention, my friend's fursuit, mm-hmm. and it convincing me that I wanted to have a, a Toonier suit because of how the way people would react to it yeah. was one of the major things that led me to appreciate toony stuff more overall um like i was always just a photorealistic person mm-hmm. but then i realized kind of the social function of cartooning um yeah yeah and that's kind of how i perform when i'm in fursuit it'll be interesting when i make when i finish my gemsbach one because that'll be more realistic mm-hmm. but then again i've been playing that character for 11 years cu- going on 12 so that that shouldn't be as hard to to depict uh, vocally yeah. and and bodily yeah no i think i think that makes sense and uh i think it's really interesting that you ended up gravitating to the the tunier style for your first fursuit because mm-hmm. of how people were engaging with it socially i think that's really interesting yeah yeah absolutely um and i think for many people photo manipulations can fall in the uncanny valley oh yeah um (laughs) and people might not quite know how to react to realistic fursuits other than like oh wow that is so cool Mm -hmm. um if they're if they're done well which many of them are um yes but people know how to interpret cartoons yes they have more of like a grounding and understanding of how to like interact with those yeah there's a sense of the social role yeah Anyway, yeah. thoughts about TF and fursuits. It's it's in clothed cognition. It is. You've heard it here, folks. It's the grand theory, and you can take that to the bank. <laughs> Toledo oh. has, has spelled it out for everyone. <laughs> oh, actually. Uh... <laughs> okay. Okay. This is, this is a funny thought that I had when I was thinking about in clothed cognition. And uh-huh. uh, it is a hot take for people to debate. Oh, hot um, take. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I am constitutionally opposed to hot takes, but here is one I will drop unabashedly. Okay. Um, getting dressed is transformation. Oh, that is a hot take. Oh. Okay. I, I, hope, I hope people debate that in the comments because I would like to hear people's take on that. I think you've laid out a very strong case as to why that is the reason. I think m- many people would disagree, though, and so I'm curious to hear what people think. <laughs> it is a, an everyday transformation, but it's a transformation nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Amazing.
Well, speaking of the audience, I actually have mm-hmm. two different questions to ask today. So the first one's a two-parter, and it comes from Patrick Coyote. Yeah. And so Patrick says, what species do you not see often enough in transformation that you would like to see more of? Okay. So I think about ones that... Oh. So I tend to gravitate toward more humorous TFs. Mm-hmm. In part because that's just the vibe I want to impart. Yeah. And so dorky looking animals are always <laughs> fun. Yeah. Like, give me all the toucans. Like, you, you cannot yes. get enough toucan art. Like, anthropomorphic, yes. TF, what have you. Just those beaks are so ridiculous. They're absurd. <laughs> and and there's a crazy variety of toucans out there. Yeah. Like, there's a toucan for every um, uh, for every personality type. Yes. Like if, if you're gothic, you can go channel build because they're just like black with a blue stripe. Um, yeah. Like um, if you're punk, you can go into the Arakaris, which have like violent red and yellow colors and like very visibly serrated beaks. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And if you want the classic, go Toko Toucan and just like yellow and orange and with a big black spot. Yes. Um, do toucans. Um, other than that, like fanged deer. Yes, are, they're so cute. They are adorkable. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, anything with saber teeth <laughs> is adorkable. I agree. I completely like, agree. Like, if I were in the Ice Age, I would be eliminated very early on because I would see a Smilodon and be like, oh my goodness, I want to hug you. <laughs> <laughs> and the Smilodon would be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, there's one of my favorite little TF sketches I've done was a, a self TF um, of just like, me with in a very early stage of a saber tooth tf yes i remember this one <laughs> and <laughs> your reaction to it is hilarious oh my goodness my friend delta responded to it with just like a caption it's like okay this is fine just have to say the counter spell oops <laughs> <laughs> perfect no notes oh my gosh it was so good um so yes anything with like cute but like weird proportions is great <laughs> yeah i i agree i um i gotta say i saying saber tooth uh saber tooth uh cats was actually one of mine so you've you've taken that but that's okay i have backups um there's gonna be two i think that i will highlight um okay the first i would say is specifically lobsters and crabs and the reason why i say those is because i think their exoskeleton is fascinating and Mm -hmm. it is intimidating to draw unfortunately so you don't see much (laughs) in the way of art related to those animals but i firmly believe that lobsters are just water dogs and they are fantastic (laughs) and they deserve more love um so lobster is my first one um slash crabs Mm -hmm. and so you're an advocate of carcinization yes i am an advocate of carcinization (laughs) i love it i love it um and then the second one that i would say 
Um, you know, in a previous episode, we talked about, oh, penguins don't get enough love, blah, blah, blah. I do like penguins a lot. That's not the one I'm going to say. What I am going to say, though, is I think armadillos are fantastic. They are fantastic. They have an amazing design. They have such a cool um, defense mechanism with, like, you know, curling up into a ball. Uh-huh. I think that there's so many interesting, like, TF and post TF situations that you could explore if you were like an anthro armadillo, for example. Mm -hmm. And I just also think they deserve more love because they're really interesting and very cute creatures. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. They're great (laughs) and and unique. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in terms of the other question that Patrick has is what Uh is your favorite part of the TF media creative process? Oh my goodness. It is. There's so much to love. Um, I know. It's from, hard to pick just one. I I guess maybe in the photo manipulation process, I love when it starts to come together. Mm. When, when the figure you're working on starts looking like they're taking on volume and weight as the end product. Oh, um, interesting. Some things that I make sure to do are like extend shadows under Mm. new body parts or just make sure that the lighting is just right and so it looks like they're actually inhabiting the space like i still one of my favorite photo manipulations i've done is uh one of a a portrait of a deer sitting and one of my favorite parts of that one was doing the lighting on the antlers because the lighting was coming from a window to the side and like I thought it looked all right until that point, but like with the lighting on those particular bits, like, okay, yeah, I love this. Um, in terms of drawing, I think just like the humor in the TF is what does it for me. Mm. Um, just like a, a, a funny reaction or like a funny yeah. pose a zany situation yeah yeah that is that's great and then just seeing the reaction to it um oh yeah how about you uh i think for me actually and this might seem strange but one of my favorite parts of creating photo manips is taking the stock for it um Mm -hmm. i really enjoy um that sort of like element of like bringing like a photo manip at the end to life because Mm -hmm. at least when i do the posings myself like you know i really try to like assume the role and so there's an interesting you know bringing back the enclosed cognition piece it's like you almost have to mentally put yourself in the idea of what a character would be going through if they were going through that and then assuming those kind of poses and reactions and such and getting to like act that out is is really enjoyable for me i used to do a decent amount of like you know acting in my like you know teenage slash undergrad years and I, I just i really enjoy that i really enjoy playing a role and so getting to actually take those pictures and play that out has always really resonated with me so i'd say that's my favorite part okay i'm going to add that to mine too because i forgot that part there's a reason I'm compelled to take photo manipulation stock, even when I'm not photo manipulating. Yeah. It is fun to do those poses. So fun. Um, And you're good at it. Like one of the reasons I want to come back to your photo manipulation is because the stock is great. 
Um, <laughs> that will be done sometime, so people will see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But no, it is perfect. <laughs> I, I am so excited for people to see the setup because I had to do one of the most unorthodox things to get the angles on them that I did. Ooh. And just the props and everything. It's it's hilarious. I'm, I'm very excited for it. It's so good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Bef- uh, yeah. Yeah. Mentioned like the setup. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many weird stacks of books and boxes I did before I got a tripod. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. Anyway. Oh, it, yeah. So then the last question I have is from Geo Holmes and Geo asks, what are your opinions on gate keeping in tf aka that's not really tf i ask this as a raccoon who's loved fast slash poof tfs for as long as i can remember and occasionally have been told off as that's not tf okay honest opinion mm-hmm. that be silly <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's very silly as well the idea that we're like somehow gatekeeping what is and isn't a tf when it's already such a niche interest and as we've kind of already touched on in this episode like there's so many ways that you can define tf that something as simple as putting your clothes on could be considered a tf so it's like i don't know i i think the idea the concept of gatekeeping that is just so wild it's very funny like it they the the different types of transformation just perform different story functions like a drawn out described one like allows the person to react to the changes as they are happening you can do that for horror you can do that for glee you can do that for any sort of reaction um a hoop tf is like allows for a funny juxtaposition of like instantly before and instantly after yes or, um like and they have to react to their new form um yeah. now like i i know the the mickey mouse short that geo that inspired geo to start the hoop tf trend um it's called magician mickey if you want to look it up and in that um mickey turns donald duck by using a hoop into a bunch of different animals and Donald Duck has to like deal with the new bodies. Um, but uh, one of my favorite bits of hoop TF is when like half the body is in and half is out, especially yeah. when there's a huge difference. Like <laughs> there's like, there, there's one fantastic animation where a person is going through hoop and turning into an Eastern dragon and just like, yeah inch as inches of their human body go in like feet of the like noodle dragon form like pile out the other side (laughs) (laughs) it is so funny (laughs) that's amazing it is great i'll have to find it and and then just like or like reach a hand in and a giant paw it's it's it makes no logistical sense but it is fantastic it is hilarious and i love it how about you Yeah, I I honestly hoop TF is the thing that comes to my mind as well because it's just such a neat way to contrast um the changed and the unchanged and mm-hmm. seeing 
um, in real time, someone have to react to that. And I mean, it is arguably a, a poof TF in some ways, you know, like you're just in me, it's just going through this one thing and all of a sudden you are completely something different yeah. and just seeing all the different combinations you can get out of that. So yeah, I don't know, like, look, I understand poof TF isn't for anyone. My philosophy has always been any TF is better than no TF. So I will take whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, like if, if people are, are giving you flack for liking poof TFs, I think they need to expand their horizons a little bit that's just my, yeah. my hot take yeah maybe maybe they just need to they need to be gifted a hula hoop exactly <laughs> oh well that was all i had for today i don't know if you had any questions for me before we signed off um yeah let's see um are there any photo manipulation techniques that you believe that you've originated or pioneered Ooh, that's a good question. I think one thing that I have done that I don't know if other people have mm -hmm. is particular towards the webbing that can be seen in certain species. Uh -huh. um, so I'm talking about the webbing for otter paws, but also like the webbing on like a dragon's wings. Sure. Um, the way that I kind of go about it, that was an entirely self-taught technique. Like I had to kind of sit down and just create it. And I don't know if people approach it in the same way. It's not a common thing that you often see come up, to be completely honest. Obviously, I know you have done webbing for some otter TFs. Yeah. Um, but particularly when it comes to like dragon wings, like those are really difficult to create from the ground up. And the way that I've done it involves like, it's a combination of like, dodging shading smudging um as well as playing with the transparency and playing with the texturing in particular mm -hmm. and when it comes to things like dragons you know um you know the scales are really difficult mm -hmm. and the way that i approach it is through scaling brushes but you have to be very particular with how you use those because if you don't do it just right in terms of mat matching the curvature of the thing that you're putting it on it looks completely wrong and then you have to start over amen um yeah so i would i would say that would probably be the one thing i would i could think of um i don't know if i've like come up with any other like distinct things on my own but i think at least on that front i've uh, yeah. i've come up with something well that's really cool yeah i've uh i've done webbing on otters and orcas um but yeah i've yeah. never done dragon wings for exactly the reasons you've mentioned it yes. is darn hard <laughs> to get them to look right. <laughs> yeah, the the dragon that I did most recently, I worked on that piece on and off for a year. Wow. Um, so yeah, they, they take a lot of work and I would not take that on as a commission because that you have to really love the piece to bring it from start to finish. And uh, I don't think I could ever properly give that amount of care to a, a commission. Um, so yeah. Yep. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, well, thank yeah. you for having me. This has been super fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been so good to have you on. I always have great conversations with you. And um, you know, for for those who weren't aware of you before, where can they find you online? Oh yes, uh, um, among the wreckage of the name of my former names. Um, <laughs> so on DeviantArt, you can find me as Toledo the Horse. Okay. Um, uh, on Twitter, I am Toledo the horse with no dashes. Okay. Um, on FA, since you can't change the usernames, 
Yes. Um, I am out dash of dash the dash box with box spelled B O K S because I'm punny. Um, <laughs> and I think those are the three main places to find me. Amazing. If you yeah. are interested, I am on transfer. See if you can find me there. It's not under oh, those yes. usernames. <laughs> it's not. Let's. We'll leave that as a as a challenge for the audience. I mean, I, I think uh, if they look hard enough, they definitely can. And it's a good name too for the record. So. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Actually, that's detritus of a sona I didn't pick. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well. Thank you so much again for coming on. Um, always a pleasure to chat with you. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you all had as much fun listening to it as I did recording it. Um, we'll be back again next week. So as always, stay hydrated, stay safe, keep an open mind, and stay TFE. And uh, see you all again soon. Ciao, ciao.